Now, before we start the show, I want to ask you what you're doing uh, the night of September 13th. Are you available? No, I'm, I'm not asking you on a date, uh, although I guess I'm not not asking you on a date. I'm wondering if you're free, and it has something to do with Blake Shelton. <laughs> That's right. Blake Shelton uh, will be playing the opening night of the SAP Center's 25 Festival Weekend right here in San Jose. If you're familiar with radio at all, you probably see where this is going. I have tickets, and I want to give them to you. So you can take someone that you love uh, or someone that you're uh, trying to love or someone that you're trying to uh, get to love you. I mean, any of those combinations would work. Uh, You can take that person to the Blake Shelton concert and you can have a great night. Let me sweeten the deal for you. And yes, I did just say, yeah, I'm uh, I'm trying to get into the Blake Shelton swing of things. (laughs) Okay. All right. Uh, So what is this event all about? Well, let me tell you. It's Blake Shelton along with Hunter Hayes and Devin Dawson. That's exciting, right? Uh, This is going to be part of the SAP Center's 25 Festival Weekend, which already includes Kings of the West and Maluma. Now, this is one of those, like, three-day events. Uh, This is like, uh, like Coachella, but without the desert. It's at the SAP Center in San Jose the 13th through the 15th of September, uh, there's going to be live music inside, free performances outside the venue, food, beverages, crafts, uh, games, rides, and more. Crafts, huh? Pretty cool. Uh, if I know you, you'll come for the crafts, but you'll stay for the Shelton, won't you? All right, so I have three pairs of tickets, and I want to give them to you. How do you get them? Well, here's how you do it. I'm going to ask you a question. You answer it via email, and the tickets to see Blake Shelton at the SAP Center September 13th are yours. Sounds easy, right? Well, that's because it is. So what's the question you're probably wondering? Well, here it is. During the last podcast interview with Stephanie Seymour, what was I wearing? No, I'm kidding. That's not the question. The question is, in the last episode of Stereo Embers, the podcast with Stephanie Seymour, that was my interviewee, Stephanie told me that she left music from 2009 to 2019 For what reason? Why did Stephanie Seymour leave music? That's right. That's the question. All you have to do is answer it. Email me your answer, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com, and you can win the tickets to see Blake Shelton. The first three emails I get with the correct answer, well, those are the people that will win the tickets. Make sure when you write that you leave us your address so we know where to send the tickets. All right? Okay, so all you have to do is listen to the last podcast... Find the answer and send it in. Ah, the links that I'll go to to have you listen to my old shows. All right, let's start the new show. This is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out.
That is the music of Wilder, which features my guest today on the program, Will McCary. Let me tell you a little bit about Wilder and Will McCary. Formed on the University of Mary Washington campus in Fredericksburg, Virginia, Wilder used to operate under the name Save the Arcadian. But nothing changes a college band faster than graduation, and by the time the members of STC graduated, they had shifted personnel, renamed themselves Wilder, and relocated to D.C. Led by Will McCary, Wilder put out their 2016 debut, Rain and Laura, and suddenly everyone was taking notice. The band's music got played on MTV and TV shows like The Good Doctor. They shared the stage with everyone from the Bare Naked Ladies to Sister Hazel. And they found themselves a new fan in Train's Pat Monahan, who played them on his Sirius XM radio show. Oh, and just for fun, the band played Weezer's Blue Album in its entirety to a sold-out crowd at the DC club, DC9. The band's sophomore album, Golden Age Thinking, builds on the momentum of their debut... And sure, the lush acoustic numbers do bring to mind folks like the Fleet Foxes and Death Cab for Cutie, but the album also summons the Lilac Times Paradise Circus and the Trashcan Sinatra's Cake. A singer with tremendous harmonic authority, McCary is a thoughtful frontman imbued with poetic precision and heart. And we had a great chat. We cover a lot here, so enjoy it. This is my chat with Will McCary of Wilder on Stereo Embers, the podcast. It's been the central challenge. I mean, I'm sure everybody who who's a band leader and uh, potentially the front man as well sort of struggles with this is uh, finding that space to express yourself, but then giving the room for others to um, interpret that. Because sometimes I'll come up with an idea and it'll be misinterpreted and I'll be like, oh, actually, that's way better. Forget what I said uh, to begin with. Um, and so sometimes those misinterpretations can be really special. Um, but when you're doing a record like the one we just put out, it's, it is very specific ideas that um, occasionally it, it, it is challenging in the rehearsal space to, to get that across. Right. And because bands are started, you know, in a vacuum, I'll bet when you, when you had the band, you know, as an idea in your brain, you never thought, Oh, how am I going to present my ideas to other people? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's you. Yeah. I mean, bringing others into a, a project is something that uh, it's, it, it is sort of special in it. They bring my bandmates, Mike and Lonnie and Jackson each bring something unique to the table. Um, Jackson in, in particular is just, uh, he's like a musicologist, man. He's just, he really, if something sounds even remotely dissonant, he'll let me know. And occasionally I'll bite back and I'll say, I don't care. I, I want it to be dissonant. <laughs> but he's really is good at that that space. And then Mike is really interested in production. And so he is able to kind of, he's not necessarily a melody guy. He's not, but he's, as the drummer, he brings this, this unique energy to like the vibe. And I'd say that's where Lonnie kind of, Locked in too is he just he listens to a lot of music that that's in our space and so he's able to kind of say I don't know maybe that's not 
the direction we want to go. Um, and so they each bring something really unique to my songs. So that said, I mean, has being in the band made you a better collaborative musician? Uh, yeah, I mean, this has been my main project for uh, my most of my career as a musician. I started this band in late 2012, and at that point, the lineup was completely different. Um, so I've worked with a lot of different personalities, and Lonnie joined us in 2013, and he and I are very different. Um, what knit, what knits us together is friendship more than anything else. The Lonnie and Jackson and Mike, and it, it is tough when when guys are also your friends. And I think that finding that space to say I disagree with you does make you a stronger musician. And and conceding when someone else maybe has something unique to bring to the table. Yeah, and also, I mean, don't you think just getting older makes that easier? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think that um, we couldn't have done the record we just did, Golden Age Thinking, uh, a few years ago. Um, I, I think that I, both from their perspective and mine, I they gave me the space to do what I wanted. And I hope they would agree that I gave them the space to, to be good partners in the collaboration. Does the process of being in a band make you think about all the bands that you grew up listening to? And make you more sympathetic and understanding about the evolution of their sound? Yeah, I mean, there certainly is bands that I have gravitated away from. Like, for instance, uh, I've loved Arcade Fire for my whole, like, since they came out. And Funeral will always be my favorite in a lot of ways. But, you know, as they've gravitated towards disco, (laughs) seemingly, it's been... It's been something where, like, I don't necessarily find myself putting their music on, but I get that they want to try something else, you know, and that potentially as a unit, I, I'm not really sure how their songwriting works, but as a unit, I would imagine as new members come in and uh, as they develop, it, it's, it's inevitable that you want to try something different. Yeah, and what about you? I mean, is there stuff for you as a creative person um, that you want to try? I mean, are there some, you know, creative curveballs you want to throw or or even try to hit? Um, is there stuff for you that you want to maybe throw in the in the wilder mix that that might be unexpected? I mean, I'm not suggesting you're going to make a disco record, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, is there stuff that wilder might try? Yeah, I think that that might be next, you know, um, because putting out golden age thinking for me was an exercise in perfecting what we'd been trying to do since I started the band. Um, I've been trying to do this indie folk thing that emulates bands and artists like Sufjan Stevens and uh, a little bit of radical faith and just groups that I really love. And I think that everything that's led up to this record has been an exercise exercise in preparing myself to, to release something that was definitive of that kind of songwriting. And yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know what genre it would be exactly, but I do know that we, we feel like we did that. And as we kind of look to the next thing, I, I do think we'll be tackling new spaces and new genres. And that also will give the guys an opportunity to, you know, contribute ideas as well. 
Look, man, I don't know what you're hinting at, but uh, Will, if you're going to make a funk record, I, I think now is the time to say it. <laughs> Honestly, uh, Mike and Jackson are going to listen back to this and they're going to be like, hell yeah, that sounds great. Wolfpack is their jam and they are all about that right now. So you never know. <laughs> I'm not sure I have the chops, but they do. Well, before we talk about the massive sonic departure that Wilder is about to take, I want to talk about this record. So this, to me, is such a beautiful album. Um, And one of the things that I'm marveling at is the craftsmanship and the precision. And I'm wondering, you know, it's incredible, first of all, that that you were able to apprehend the thing that you were thinking about and bring it to this place, Um, which must have been, you know— a painstaking process that takes years. But can you talk about how you arrived at this particular sonic juncture? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that I, I really appreciate that notion. And I think that that is the, the space that I want to be a part of. You know, there's music that's on the, I'll say floppier side, but that's not really the right word. There's stuff like, like pavement that is wonderful and and special in its own right. And I had a friend once say to me many years ago, it sounds like they're playing their instruments while lounging on couches. And that's like, there's something about the vibe that's like, that works for them, but it's never been, that's never been my thing. I've always worked more with precision and not to compare myself to Radiohead by any means, but they're a band that's like remarkably precise in, you know, in juxtaposition to something like pavement. And I, I think that we, uh, we gravitate more towards that side of things. And these songs started, I started working on them pretty much as soon as we were done with Rain and Laura, um, the first record. And a lot of ways that record was very collaborative. I wrote most of the lyrics, probably almost all of them. I, and I wrote all the songs with the exception of a few sections here or there. Uh, but in general, the guys were contributing a lot of parts and um, harmonies and just ideas in general. And as we stepped into this next thing, I knew that we, if we were going to be as precise as um, Golden Age thinking needed to be to work, I knew that a lot of those ideas needed to be something that, that felt singular in its vision. And... Um, yeah, so for years I, I just continued to tinker and where the guys really come in is in this space where I had these ideas I've been working on for quite literally years and I brought them to them and I said, do you guys even like these songs? Because <laughs> we've been kind of like working on them for a long time and they, they didn't seem to understand them. And I, and I was like... I, you know, I just wanted to see if it was something they were interested in. And, and luckily, they came away with it. And Jackson said something that uh, he's a very, very quiet, timid person. And he said, uh, I love it. I think it's one of my favorite records there is. And I, coming from him, that just meant a lot to me. And it, and it gave this space where as soon as I knew they were in, we really were able to spend a lot of time structure-wise just continuing to put things in different places and put things in different songs. Cause a lot of the songs are in a um, or a minor. And so, yeah, parts kind of like shifted in and out of tracks and it came together 
um, pretty quickly once everybody got involved. Is that a weird moment for you to bring something to your bandmates that has been in your head and is intensely personal? And not only that, but it's something that you've lived with and thought about and, and kept the company of, and now you have to present it as a potential viable idea that other people have to get on board with or not. Um, that's a very vulnerable moment, I would imagine. Yeah, it really is tough, and it it speaks to why this record is maybe different than our last one, because when we had... Um, especially lyrically when we had moments on the last one that I was nervous about sharing with, um, with my bandmates, it, it was this space that I, I remember not even singing some of the lyrics to them until we were in the studio. You know, I just was not comfortable with it. And it was a concerted effort for me to, to say, you know what, like these songs are, intimate and um i yeah i think it speaks to the relationship i have with the guys that they were able to take it seriously um because everybody's been in that position where especially as maybe a teenager you bring your song to your bandmates and they go uh they find some lyric that they decide is just painfully funny and you 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 have to step away and say oh i guess it's just a big joke um and I guess that's like back to what you said about growing up. Like, I guess you grow up and you're able to kind of be a little bit more reflective about it. That reminds me of a story I heard about Paul Westerberg when the replacements were recording uh, Please to Meet Me. Um, he had the song Skyway and it was such a vulnerable song that he waited for everyone to be gone. And it was like late at night and he went into the studio and he recorded that song. I would imagine that's an experience you can, you know totally relate to oh absolutely i love that song um it's yeah it is a thing where we recorded vocals in in a really small um space in la that was uh yeah pretty close quarters and i i eventually had to kind of share that i just wanted it to be me and the engineer you know um because it it it's just, I think you can give a better performance if you're, if you don't have those, that added pressure of someone watching. Oh, I get it. And I think about records like, okay, computer or grace, you know, albums that have that sweeping majesty. Um, and I would imagine those are albums that probably, you know, really appeal to you. Oh yeah. I, I love those records. And, um, I think that arranging is, is my first love as, as far as music is concerned and arranging vocals, arranging strings. And, um, it's, uh, it's really was that, that the arrangements are, are what I was trying to perfect over all this time and, um, find a record that gave me the space to, to do something that felt kind of grandiose and, um, maybe bombastic even in spots. I know that every creative person has their, um, troubled areas, you know, parts they don't feel as confident about in their game. So keeping that in mind, uh, for you, what is your own personal creative Achilles heel? I think song structure is really hard. Um, I have had songs that I, I tend to have too many parts that I want to fit in a song. 
like for instance in fear which is one of my favorite tracks um obviously the arrangement on that is one of the more complex on the record um but i ended up cutting i don't know four or five other sections of the song that i i just i was really married to i i wanted them in there i wanted them all and it just doesn't make for a particularly interesting song if you're shoving parts in but i i i find it very hard and sometimes it takes me years to separate and say okay you know what i i need to simplify this and another great example is oh love what the opening opening track that was actually a part of fear those songs while they're like complementary and flow into each other on the album they were one song at some point and separating them was this liberating experience for me i eventually get at where i want with the song structure but um it's really hard for me to let go of parts and you can see that in tracks like ghosts for example there are just a lot of sections to that song and um yeah it was i think that like if you can find the space where that works that's great but i've always been envious of of guys who have two or three chords that they just strum through the whole song and have let the lyrics and the and the feeling guide them and don't worry about um you know key changes and um tempo changes and just sonically creating something that's a river i don't know it's it, that's absolutely my my achilles heel so it doesn't surprise me will at all to hear that you're such a craftsman and i would imagine that every craftsman is also probably a very patient person <laughs> i hope i hope so yeah um thank you i appreciate that um yeah i think that i i think i've been able to become a patient person i certainly wasn't for most of uh my teenage years and into college i i would call myself actually extremely impatient um but i think that writing music has been a big part of changing that about myself and allowing myself to live in the moment which really actually ultimately is what the record is about too was there a moment in college where you really started taking being in the band seriously and you surprised yourself by by realizing wow i'm i'm actually a really patient guy um when it comes to my art i mean i guess what i'm asking is were you surprised to actually discover you know that reservoir of patience um that was suddenly something you became aware of after years of not knowing that it was there yeah i think like the 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 nice side of having some form of attention deficit disorder is that a lot of people who have that which um i don't know that i do but i've always felt that i have those tendencies um a lot of people who feel that way also have the hyper focus element and i always knew that was a part of who i was i wonder i don't know that there was a singular moment but i do know over the last few years i've been able to bring that hyper focus that i feel when i'm writing music into other elements of my life and um that's been liberating we were tied through fear in the hope we'd grow your retreat from home could end where we slept beneath the side of my bed 
also shared with my friends when the hope fades south and the steps caved in when the embers hold below and remind me if you coming home to wash all the smoke from your clothes Are you right with God? Was he on your side? As the days shrink back again Turn to cry, sink into dread Shading all the thoughts in my head So I speak with death Never say why consider yourself to be a fairly prolific songwriter oh yeah that's an interesting question um we obviously we don't release a lot of music but i'm constantly having little ideas i i'm envious of i know guys who who can sit down and in an evening they write a song and uh they have these challenges now i'm sure you've seen people taking them on where 
you know, it's like, I'm going to write a song a week or a song a month. And I, oh, I don't think I would ever take on something like that. So in a way I'm, I'm ext- not prolific at all in the sense of like finishing songs, but in terms of like having ideas, um, there isn't a day that goes by that, that something doesn't pop into my head and I, I put it in my voice memos and <laughs> sometimes I never come back to it. And occasionally it becomes something that I think about and I continue to pick at for years. So what is it about the idea of, you know, let's write a song in 14 minutes. Let's write a song every day. What about that process doesn't really appeal to you? Yeah. I mean, I guess I should, I guess I should walk back a little bit. It's not that it doesn't appeal to me. I think it, I think it does. Um, jamming is one of my favorite things to do. And when you're in the groove with the, with the band and there's a lot of shows that, you know, cause we're still an emerging act um, where we have the space to kind of like jam and mess around and, Sometimes we'll come away from one of those jams and we have a song and it's kind of just done. And those are the moments that I, I look back at like these songs that I agonized over for years. And I'm like, what am I, how can I bring these two elements together and be a more productive musician? Uh, I, maybe that's the exercise. Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think if there are any songs on the album that like came together quickly. I don't think they are. And I think I tend to, um, I think I tend to like gravitate towards the one that I've put the blood and sweat and tears into. And it'd be, maybe that's the next thing. Maybe that's the next thing that we're, we're sorting out for the band <laughs> live on air here. <laughs> but would it be, it'd be interesting to, it'd be interesting to like release the next thing and have it be more immediate. Maybe try some of these ideas that, that, uh, don't feel like agony and maybe are just sort of more fun. What I've found that's really interesting when I talk to musicians is that they're never satisfied. I mean, maybe it's not just musicians, maybe it's all artists, but you know, when you apprehend the vision um, or the thing that you're trying to apprehend and then you get it and you nail it, uh, it's never enough. You always want to do it again, which is really interesting because even if the song that you right is perfect i mean it does exactly what you want it to do it doesn't do it enough that you're going to stop writing songs so as perfect of a job as you just did you tend to forget that and the new puzzle is the the new song that you're working on do do you find that to be true yeah i i absolutely think so it's always what's next it's like a constant vicious cycle you can never just be content and Either, there are people who only put out one album over the you know their entire career and it's like or maybe just one great album and it's kind of like how did you how did you stop like i don't know it it sort of seems impossible to me um because there's it's always what's next what's going to drive us to to do something more interesting yeah, so keeping that idea in mind, I mean, songwriting is like a trick you can't master. You know, it's like you translate the thing you're trying to do perfectly. And then instead of celebrating that, you go, oh, I got to do it again. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's, that's sort of painful in a way. And that it makes being a musician like, I, don't, I wouldn't call that that process fun exactly. Um, but it is, there's something that drives us to continue doing it um and i i have to sometimes look backward and 
look at songs that I never released and say, just because this isn't out there in the world right now, what I, I, I don't know. I think I'm in a place right now where I've released this record that I'm pleased with. Um, but even, even some of those songs, like I'm, I'm toying with acoustic versions to play live, of course, but uh, maybe even to release. So for me, it's as much as like onto the next thing, it's kind of like, is there anything more we can do with what's out there? Well, now that we're saying it out loud, Will, I, I'm wondering if we've just discovered that, you know, all musicians are like, you know, a version of Sisyphus. <laughs> I think that, yeah, that's that's the takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, like, for example, you have made a beautiful album. I mean, this album is gorgeous. It's perfect. And keeping that in mind, if you said to me, well, uh, I've made a perfect album. I'm going to go be a realtor in Baltimore. I would go, well, I understand that. You know, you've made a great album. It's uh, it's exactly what you wanted. I understand you stepping away. I mean, obviously, I would, you know, wish that you weren't stepping away in this particular scenario. And, and I'm glad as hell that you're not in real life. Uh, but I would get it. I would understand where you were coming from. And I'm sitting here and I'm sort of wondering if the thing that all musicians have in common is that they never stop chasing the thing. You know, like today, we're talking about the work you're going to be doing in the future. You know, the chase continues. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think it's a neurosis. I think that's, that's unfortunately what we've... And it's not just me. It's everybody. There's something... Maybe that's the what ties us together. We're all just a little neurotic. You know, I'm a writer, and there are moments where I write something, and it feels perfect to me. And that, and that feels like just a shot of adrenaline. Now, that doesn't happen very often, but I'm continuously chasing that, that moment where it does happen. Infrequent as it may be, it's worth chasing. So, you know, when you say, you know, we're all neurotic, I, I wonder if, you know, you have to be. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, that, those moments are, are few and far between. It's like so many times you walk away from... from any sort of writing, whether it's music or, or just writing something else. And it's doubt, doubt is such a big part of art. Um, any artist who doesn't have any doubt in themselves, I, I, I find, I would find that peculiar, um, and hard to sort of understand. I totally agree with that. And I'm thinking that maybe the nature of an artist is to be, you know, perpetually unsatisfied. I'm thinking every artist is like a, you know, a bucket with a hole in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So is, is the podcast always just therapy or? Yeah, it's, <laughs> there is a, there is a therapeutic element to it. I think, I think you've, uh, you've uncovered something. I'm like Dr. Katz, but for musicians. <laughs> I, I listened to a few episodes. I feel like it is. Maybe that's what people are gravitating towards. Well, they haven't gotten the bill yet. Uh, but the thing about the artistic process to me that's so mysterious is, you know, okay, forget about the notion of capturing what you want to capture. How about maintaining the actual process itself, you know, or continuing to push yourself in, in new ways that, you know, keep you interesting? Like I look at Tom Waits and Tom Waits is as interesting as ever, but, you know, his contemporaries, some of them aren't. So I, I, I wonder where all that magic goes. 
and that's something that can keep you up at night. I know. Yeah, and I think is I think there's a fear for for all artists that what if it disappears? I mean, you like Sir Paul McCartney, wonderful musician, probably my favorite songwriter there is, and why should he not be allowed to rest on his laurels after releasing more hit singles than probably almost anyone? And yet, I don't know if you've listened to his newer album, but his last few especially, it's just, you know, they're fine. But it's, you do wonder, where did it go? I mean, sometimes I think it's a matter of, you know, staying attuned to what other people are doing. Um, So you, you know, you get inspired by other people. I don't know if it makes you competitive. I don't know if it should be competitive. Um but maybe creative energy comes from that. Where do you fall on on that notion? I think that's where, like, I don't think music needs to be competitive. Um, I think when people try to make it competitive, it's disappointing. But of course, the drive to when you hear something really great, and it's not always, not everything is going to make you say, oh, I wish I'd written that. Because something's not, maybe not in your wheelhouse, but occasionally you'll, I'll hear a song and maybe it's from a contemporary, a friend or something, or maybe it's from, you know, a band that I've always loved. And I go, oh, my God, like, I'll never write anything like that. And um, that's, I think that's all, what it's all about is is finding that space where you can you can try to, to get close to that. When you were in college and you started the band, what was the original vision that you had uh, in terms of a career? And were your parents supportive of that vision? Yeah, they've been extremely supportive. Um, they've always let me feel out this space myself. And um, yeah, my dad bought me a lot of gear over the years, especially as a teenager. Of course, I had to have a half stack, um, which I have not played since. Um so I always feel bad about that. But yeah, they've been very supportive over the years. And um, yeah, when I started the band, um, we were actually called Save the Arcadian. Uh, and that was a reference to the very outdated show, How I Met Your Mother. Um, and so I'm glad we changed the name. But the first few years we played as as Save the Arcadian and we played on, on our college campus at Mary Washington. And uh, we started playing around Virginia and some in- some shows in DC and Maryland and um, it uh, the vision for what I wanted to do was more in line with what was, I felt as though I was ahead of the curve as far as um, creating something that I think at the time we were calling it folk pop. And uh, in, in a lot of ways it was really in the vein of things that had already come before at Mumford and Sons and, uh, head in the heart, especially. Um, but yeah, we had this sort of notion like, okay, we're ahead enough of the curve. Obviously we didn't, uh, start the whole, um, folk revival by any means, but we, um, we felt like we were enough at the, at the, at the beginning of, of it coming back. And then that started to kind of slip away from us where, um, it became sort of uncool to play folk, folk music, uh, as soon as we started like kind of doing it, the moment that it was cool was very short lived. And, um, so it was kind of a space where we had to figure out 
how to make it our own. And I think that um, Rain and Laura does that. I think it's, I think it's unlike anything else that uh, I've heard, at least in that genre, um, combining, you know, some alternative rock and, and putting that together with the arrangements, which are really string focused. And um, so, yeah, it's been kind of a journey on finding ourselves in that genre. Just out of curiosity, because a lot of our, you know, listeners are aspiring musicians. Um, did you have a backup plan? Did you think, well, I'll get this major, and then if things don't go well, um, I've always got this to fall back on. But I'm wondering, as I ask that question, you know, because it's so hard to make a living in the music business, um, if the backup plan is actually, you know, a part of the main plan now. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, yeah, we we all work full time jobs. Um, uh, which is on, only unfortunate in that we don't get to play music every day. It's nice to have a job. Um, but yeah, we all work full time. And I, I played as a musician full time very briefly. Um, and it just wasn't bringing me any happiness. Uh, the kind of gigs we were playing weren't necessarily, um, they weren't bringing me joy. Um, and so I stepped back and, we work full time and uh, we go on a few long jaunts every year on the East Coast mainly. Um, but yeah, it would be super cool to to have the listenership to, to play um, the whole country or even abroad. What was it specifically about those gigs that, that you found you know, weren't bringing you any joy? We were just, um, you know, when you are worried about making enough money to survive, it's sort of the pressure that it was bringing me um, to pay my rent and, uh, you know, live <laughs> was um, not conducive to my art. I found that it was the better part of a year that I did that. And it, along with a few of my bandmates, and ultimately we were playing so much, which was great and that was fun, um, but we weren't writing at all. And we really stalled in the writing. And, and the ideas that are on Golden Age Thinking began in that time. And in a lot of ways, the record is in conversation with that time in my life and the doubt that I felt in myself and in the project during that time. Um, and ultimately, the lineup of the band changed a lot. Uh, quitting our jobs and, and doing the music thing full time pushed at least one of our members um, to quit music entirely. Um, yeah, he just was like, this is not fun anymore. Um, and several of the other guys who were in the band at that time, um, it just was, it was tough. Um, and I don't have to <laughs> explain that to, I'm sure a lot of the li listeners, you know, but it, it really pushed me to focus more on writing and, um, release this record. You know, I remember um, being a kid and going into the record store and seeing an album by Chicago. And, and the album was called 19. And it was called that because it was Chicago's 19th album. And at the time, I remember thinking, well, that's a lot of Chicago. But as we're having this conversation and, and listening to what you just said, I'm wondering if it's even possible for a band to have a career that goes 20 or 30 years. I can only speak from my limited experience, but just from 
viewing people from the outside, one of my favorite bands, I actually mentioned them earlier, is, is Radical Faith. Um, and he, Ben Cooper, to me, is, he was the dream. I don't know how how he does day to day and if he's, you know, making it work. But from the outside, I feel there are bands like his that tap into something worldwide where at least from the outside, it feels like he can continue to make music and have people listen to it and take it in and enjoy every little thing he does. I don't know, maybe not 19 albums deep, but I'd say it it sort of transcends the trends of uh, which uh, where people are getting their music, you know? When I first started listening to him, I was downloading his albums on Bandcamp. And of course, no one does that anymore, and everybody streams on Spotify. But there are certain artists like him that they carve out a niche, and I, I think that it's the age we live in with so much music, sometimes things float up and they don't necessarily ever have to break through and you still can have a niche audience that that gives you a, a really productive career. So I teach college for a living. And, you know, after I lecture or meet with a student, when I get into my car, I'm no longer that guy. I, I'm no longer that person that they saw. I, I turn back into myself. And I'm wondering for you, do you feel that shift when you leave work and go to a gig or, you know, go to band practice or go to a cafe and start writing a song? Do you feel a shift in the persona? Um, do you feel a change where work guy becomes music guy and then music guy becomes work guy? You know, that's an interesting question. I when I reflect on it, I think that it brings, I think that the fact that I have this passion and this project that um, a core group of people really care about, um, it's, it brings me serenity in, in other parts of my life where people get really worked up at work. Um, it's their whole life. It's everything to them. And they they want their ideas to be heard and they want their voice to mean something when they're in the office. And I don't know, not that that's not important. I think it is. Everybody needs to have their space where they feel heard, but because I feel heard in another part of my life, um, it, it brings me sort of a calmness and a peace that I actually think makes me a, potentially a better employee. <laughs> um, because I, I, I don't know when there's arguments, I, I'm always able to say, well, you know, this is just, this is what it is. And I, I have music, which is my, my real passion. And when you made that decision, you know, to, to decide to work in order to be a musician instead of being a musician exclusively, did that take some of the pressure off for you? It did, yeah. And of course, there's less time to write. You have to write in the evenings and you have to find space to to do that. But, um, in general, I think it's, it's nice to feel secure enough to try things. Um, and that's what we did this summer with, uh, recording the album in LA, you know, we're able to put all of our money that we make as a band towards the band with some small exceptions, but we, 
we mainly don't take any income from the band at all. Uh, and that's the way it's been for years. And it allows us the freedom to say, well, we want to do 10 music videos this year. How can we do that? Not that we would ever do that. <laughs> but, you know, it's just it gives us the freedom to, to put out more content. And hopefully moving forward, um, we can continue to, to do that even more. Well, there he is, uh, Will McCauley, the Sisyphus of rock and roll. For more information on Wilder, all you got to do is go to wildermusic.com. That's Wilder with a Y. If you go to Wilder Music with an I, who knows where you'll end up, okay? Do it with the Y. Uh, buy their new album, Golden Age Thinking. You'll thank me. It's a beautiful, beautiful album. As for me, I haven't made a beautiful album uh, but if you go to my website, alexgreenonline.com, you'll find out all the things that I have been doing uh, in my life. And uh, not, to, uh, not to give you a spoiler, uh, but it's mostly laundry. Now, if you want to reach me online, you can do it uh, in a number of different ways. On Twitter, at Embers Editor. On Instagram, Embers Podcast. Or you can email me, editor, at stereoembersmagazine.com. I always love to hear from you. Um, and uh, what you're thinking and how you're receiving the show. Who do you want me to get on the show? Who, who are some people you'd like me to talk to? Uh, who do you want me to bring back on the show? We've had some amazing guests. Maybe you want to hear from them again. Who do you want me to never bring back on the show? Let's gossip. Now, here's some gossip you've probably heard. Uh, that Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Is, <laughs> did you read that on TMZ? Is that the latest gossip? Well, it's true. Uh, you can find our podcast on uh, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Last FM, and now iHeartRadio. So there's no excuse not to listen to our show because we're everywhere. So if you would be so kind, please subscribe to our podcast, leave us a rating, you know, a couple of stars, a couple of nice comments. What can I say? I pay attention to these things, I read your comments, I count the stars. And uh, it does make up for the emptiness in my life. <laughs> Is that too a little too on the nose? Is that too much? Did I go too far on that one? Was that too revealing? Do you feel uncomfortable? Well, don't worry. Everything's fine. Just keep listening to the podcast, okay? All right. Let's close the show off with another new one from Wilder. This is from their album, Golden Age Thinking, a song called The Lake. Enjoy it. And I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio. When you wave through me with the car.